We're now into the second day of mourning here in the Netherlands for Peter de Vries, the investigative crime journalist. We are appealed by the apparently arbitrary killing of nine activists in simultaneous Tonight, more bloodshed in Mexico. Another journalist killed this week in the country. Five he was known for fighting for the little guys, for trying to deny corruption. From the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime, this is the Repo Effect. This is The Repo Effect, and I'm your host, Ana Paula Oliveira. On today's episode, we explore the various responses to assassination of politicians and consider the societal changes that need to happen to ensure politicians cannot be murdered with impunity. us to the streets of Sicily, streets that have been the empire of the Italian mafia. For Judge decades. Giovanni Falcone, the anti-mafia prosecuting magistrate, was famous for his campaign against the notorious Cosa Nostra in Sicily. His work led to the Maxi trial, the largest criminal trial against organized crime in history. In 1992, Falcone was murdered along with his wife and three police court agents when a huge car bomb was detonated along Highway 29, northwest of Palermo. The assassination triggered a strong response from civil society in Italy. Gemma Di Popa from Brown University explains how the level of response from the public and state can help influence outcomes. Killing a politician is a costly action for organized crime, and it is even more costly in the context of a strong state that is likely to react to the killing of a politician with some strong reaction. In Italy, the biggest reaction of the state against organized crime happened after the assassination of the judge Giovanni Falcone. And this was really a swift reaction. In just one year after the bombing of Falcone's car, the state was able to locate and arrest the leader of Cosa Nostra, Totorina. This was obviously a big success that would have not been possible without a strong reaction of the civil society to the killing, something that put a lot of pressure on the government to act and obtain results. Politician killings are costly also for criminal groups, and they are generally used as a last resort when it is too difficult to ban politicians and where politicians are really undermining the activity of criminal groups. But there is also another case when organized crime kills, and is when there is little public attention towards the politicians that are victims of violence. When the media does not give a lot of coverage to violence against politicians, then it is less costly for organized crime to attack them. And in fact, it is not by chance that, uh, at least in the database that we observe in Italy, most politicians that are victims of violence are local, municipal-level politicians that are rarely under the spotlight of the media. And instead, at least in the case of Italy, criminal groups use different methods that are more silent to attack national-level politicians because, of course, uh, attacks against them would truly backfire against criminal groups. So organized crime chooses to assassinate politicians when politicians are a real danger and they cannot be bent with other methods, but they also kill when the cost of using violence is low when they are likely to suffer serious consequences from using this violence because there is just too little reaction from the public opinion. We should make killings as costly as possible for criminal groups by truly paying attention to politicians that are under attack. So what is the cost of killing a politician? 
We have heard that in some states, the government level in which a politician holds office can help protect them from violence. Is this similar in Mexico? Roman Lecourt Grandmaison, senior expert at the Global Initiative, provides some analysis. There are no consequences to violence in Mexico in general, and there are no consequences to political or electoral violence. Maybe you have a strong political mobilization after very emblematic cases. You have certainly a media attention for certain cases. And then usually, and most of the time, the cases absolutely disappear. It's basically very cheap, in all the senses of the term actually, to use violence to impose your political will. Which means that everybody, from criminals to entrepreneurs to political actors to armed forces are eager to use violence to impose a will because they know that there won't be any legal consequence to that. The main consequence that you could face if you kill the wrong person in Mexico is that you get killed as well. Which means that impunity works for the legal system, but in society in general, killings usually follow other killings as a response to the use of violence against high-targeted officials and that kind of persons. We have to keep going. We have to continue our work for the children and grandchildren of those who died Everything is not perfect ago. in Italy, but you had at some point a reaction both from civil society, which exists in Mexico, but the response from public authorities, from the state, to actually raise the cost of use of multiple uh, ways of violence, but raise the cost of the use of political violence in particular. As Homan states, Civil society exists in Mexico, and we know many groups within civil society are often vocal about the widespread use of violence with impunity. But while pressure and awareness is crucial, is there any practical protection offered to politicians, especially during election periods? At the local level, if, if you're in office and if you're threatened, you can ask for a military protection, a police protection from the federal government. And then during the elections themselves, there is a special prosecutor's office at the federal level in, in Mexico, which is called FEPADE, which is supposed to protect candidates, protect citizens voting as well, by providing security forces and training to security forces to make this electoral cycle safer than what it is right now. Unfortunately, when the state provides you with the protection, Sometimes, and more often than not in Mexico, it, it is part of the issue. If you have a police unit that is protecting you, but this police unit is actually tied to a criminal group, it means that the police force that is supposed to protect you becomes part of the threat. What elected officials and candidates are saying is that they basically feel absolutely not safe while engaging in any political activity in many, many parts of Mexico. And if you want to gain protection while you're a political candidate, well, you don't really go to the state because you don't trust the state to protect you. So you usually tend to go to alternative protection mechanisms, which means that you will go to a violent entrepreneur and you will feed the system of alternative protection that will bring maybe safety to you on the day of the election. The problem is that Once you're elected, you won't be protected for much longer if the political economy of crime in the region you've been elected changes suddenly. It's impossible to tackle the entire complex web of political violence. But in the case of Italy, 
Gemma identifies three key areas. There is one specific period in which politicians are most fragile, and this is the period after elections take place. There is a systematic increase in attacks against politicians in this period, and so it is at this point that police forces should be mobilized to help protecting mayors and, of course, other members of the local government from the pressure of organized crime. But more in general, whenever a government has to take important decisions that involve large amounts of money, then this is the moment in which they are most likely to be target of organized crime violence. So, for example, now there is judicial evidence that large amounts of funds that were destined to reconstruction after the earthquakes that hit Italy ended up in the hands of criminal groups. And these funds were, of course, obtained by using pressure against politicians, probably in a mix of violence and rewards for politicians willing to comply. So an increase in police forces and protection for who is in charge of large amounts of money is really essential to avoid not only violence against politicians, but also the misappropriation of public funds by criminal groups. However, I think besides the response by the police, there is also a role for the civil society, which I think is perhaps even more important. And the reason is that protection is not only obtained with police presence. What really protects politicians is public opinion. If a lot of people are watching, if everybody realizes that politicians are under attack and there is a reaction of the civil society, then also the state and the police mobilize more strongly against criminal groups. And at some point, organized crime will considerably restrict the use of violence to obtain what they want. And what of the situation in Brazil, where there has been increased public pressure after the high-profile killing of politician Marielle Franco? good daughter, sister, mother and wife, all Marielle... Antonio Sampaio, from the Global Initiative, shares his thoughts on how stronger policies are needed to clamp down on political violence. In one sense, the situation has started to improve by the greater awareness of civil society and the way that the Brazilian press has been shedding light into this issue much more actively and much more explicitly than before. But of course, we've seen that this has not led to a reduction, much to the contrary. Uh, there's been an increase in political assassinations in Brazil Security policies in Brazil have been extremely poor, extremely simplistic and short term. But in terms of political assassinations and political violence in general, just to give you a number, in 2020, when there were municipal elections in Brazil, 500,000 cities asked for federal security reinforcements. That has become a current issue in Brazil in terms of responding to organized crime, not just in political violence, but basically local forces become overwhelmed or there is no trust in them because of political infiltration that federal reinforcements are called in, sometimes even the armed forces in the case of 2020. But that itself doesn't fully prevent the issue, of course, because political assassinations still occur before the elections or before the forces arrive or after. That's not a solution. There is a, a need for better intelligence and a more comprehensive approach that investigates the, the, the linkages and the networks that operate. That is indeed a very structural issue, something that is not forged and is not implemented quickly. More resources need to be put into really investigating these lines of, of corruption and, uh, and crime that underline political violence in Brazil. The need for more resources to tackle impunity and violence is needed in Mexico too, as we have raised in previous episodes. But in addition, 
Homon argues that we need analysis on the criminal politics of regions in Mexico and a more nuanced understanding of who is involved in the web of criminality. Although it's undeniable that organized crime groups are part of the issue, the argument that narcos are the sole actor behind electoral and political violence in Mexico is not satisfactory. I think it tends to leave aside the active or passive participation, protection, collaboration or patronage from politicians and or public armed forces, as well as from other public or private coercive actors in elections, like businessmen, local strongmen, non-elected figures of influence, informal authorities, and, and many more. The zero-sum game interpretation of narcos versus the state not only misses the core of political criminal relations, it also weakens the way policy is actually designed in order to tackle those issues. We have to go first to the municipalities or regions that are most affected by political and electoral violence and produce proper diagnosis on what is actually going on before knowing how we address the situation. Though each country has its own context, there appear to be patterns in the causes and the usage of political violence. In terms of solutions, greater intelligence is needed on who is involved in criminal groups and their links with politicians and other actors. There needs to be greater state resources dedicated to protecting politicians, especially during elections and the period after politicians assume office. Finally, there needs to be sustained public pressure from all sides to ensure the cost of killing a politician is high in order to deter those who order and commit assassinations and protect the dignity of our civil society. Join us next time for our concluding episodes on investigations into assassinations. What are the crucial steps and what obstacles can investigators come up against? Do investigations hold the key to tackling contract killings? If you enjoy the ripple effect, Please share and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.